Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I used to go deer hunting a lot. It was my favorite thing to do. Before the season opened, I would haul my tree stands into the mountains surrounding my home. Yes, I said stands, as in I had three tree stands. By the time the season opened, I was chomping at the bit and had my gear ready. I took off a week of work when the season first opened. After that, I hunted every weekend where it was possible. I would spend all weekend in the woods sometimes. A few years ago, I had prepared for one such weekend. The only difference was that my cousin, Johnny, was going with me. He had taken an interest in hunting and wanted me to show him where the big deer were, where the best places were to put tree stands and blinds and, well, just about everything else. I was used to going out on my own, but I thought this might be a nice change to my routine. I wasn't married, but, well, Johnny was. He also had three little boys, aged three, six, and ten, and for that reason, his wife demanded that he keep his cell phone with him and turned on at all times. I didn't like that rule, but hey, a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do to keep his family safe and happy. The snow started falling three days before deer season opened that year. Here in the mountains, it's quite common to have snowfall in late October and early November. Since Johnny and I only hunted with guns, we were going to be out in the snow. The snowfall didn't stop for four days, and by the time November 9th rolled around, there was snow to our knees in my front yard, and even deeper in some places. I had an old ghillie suit for snow hunting. It was worn, but it was still in pretty good shape, and Johnny had light-colored faded camo that one of his buddies had loaned him. It wasn't great, but I figured if he sat still, it shouldn't be a problem. I mean, he'd be in a tree stand after all. I wanted to be on the ground so I could signal to him when deer were heading our way, and hopefully, he would get his first kill. The woods were silent. All sounds seemed to be dampened by the thick blanket of dry snowfall. And every now and then, as we made our way to the first day's spot, the wind would slowly howl down the mountainside and whirl snow from the ground and tree branches into twisters. The silence that followed was eerie. But, I don't know, I found a kind of peacefulness in that complete silence. I worked in a busy warehouse. There was never any silence there. Johnny was out of breath as he climbed into the tree stand and I walked a few yards up the slope to his right and raised my hand to him. He raised his in return. With our line of sight set, I crouched at the base of an old elm and watched the deer trail ahead. The snow had been tampered down, as if there had been a lot of activity recently. When a large buck and three good-sized does started down the slope, I raised my hand carefully and pointed where they would come down the slope. Johnny took his position, 
and the first doe made her way down the slope as the buck stood watch on the rise above her. Just then, the most annoying outburst of harmonica music blared, breaking the near silence. I cringed involuntarily. The doe's head swung upward, her tail flipped up revealing the white underside. The buck snorted, and then there was a commotion as the deer fled. I stood, not bothering about being quiet, yelled obscenities at Johnny as he silenced the phone and put it to his ear. My anger lagged when he told me that his youngest son had fallen off the porch steps and was en route to the hospital. His wife thought the little boy's leg might be broken. I wasn't happy about having to walk back out with Johnny. Hell, I understood that he had to be with his family. But I couldn't help being perturbed that my best hunting spot had been disturbed. Deer would likely avoid that little area for a good while. I would have to go to the second spot on my list of three and hope for the best. That meant walking back down, going to my house again, and going up the mountain on the other side. I told Johnny goodbye and that I hoped his son was okay, but I can't say I was sad to see his taillights disappearing down the road. I know that sounds harsh, but I take my hunting season seriously, and I'm a little superstitious about the whole thing. With the deer getting spooked by Johnny's phone and his emergency at home, I suspected it did not bode well for the rest of the week's hunting. I went into the house and waited until late afternoon to trek up to the second spot with my tent. I decided the only way to ensure nothing else thwarted my plans was to turn off my cell phone and camp on the mountain. By the time I reached the place where I would pitch my tent, the excitement had returned. At the factory, we always laid bets on who would make the first kill, the biggest kill, and who would tell the best it-got-away story also known as the biggest, most creative lie. It was still possible for me to win first kill, if I got up early enough the next morning. I was two rises away from the tree stand and far enough away from any deer activity to disturb them with my campsite. Just after sunset, a pair of screech owls started calling to one another. One was very close to me and loud. The other sounded far away, and its call had an eerie, echoing quality. If you've never heard a screech owl, they sound like tiny horses neighing. I told my niece that they were tree horses when she was six or seven, and she believed it until my sister, her mom, told her different a year later. As I sat just inside my tent on the top of my sleeping bag, I listened to the owls and recalled the night I had told my niece about them. It had been fun, and, well, cute that she had looked at me with those wide eyes and willing to believe me. Well, then I didn't have the heart to tell her different. I didn't see the harm in putting a little magic into her life. The night wasn't dark. The thick layer of snow seemed to radiate an ambient blue-white glow all through the woods. And that was the little bit of wonder and magic that still brightened my dull adult life. Breathing deeply of the chilled air, I felt more alive than I had all year. As I was debating whether to start a fire, 
I heard what sounded like a buck snorting at the top of the rise. I held my breath and listened for the sound of snow crunching under hooves. The snort came again, but sounded farther away. Now, I know hunting at night is illegal, but I did grab my gun out of the tent before I started up the rise. Hey, late October and early November are prime time for bucks to be in rutting season. I didn't want to risk an attack. I simply wanted to see how many there were, where they were headed if I could. It would make the next morning simpler if I knew exactly where to look. I didn't see the deer, but I heard it snort again, farther away, so I moved as quickly as I could and remained quiet as possible. The snow made soft whooping noises under my feet, and I eased over the rise, expecting to see at least the buck I had been hearing, but there was nothing, and thinking that I had spooked him away, I turned to head back to the tent, completely and utterly disappointed. In the shadows to the right of my tent, I spotted a set of eyes. My heart seized and my breath locked in my lungs. My first thought was wolf. Shouldering my gun, I tried to control the shaking in my legs. If it wasn't a wolf, maybe it was a coyote. Either way, they run in packs and it was unlikely that there was only one of them. Quickly, I scanned the surrounding area for more eyes in the shadows but there were none I could see. That didn't put me at ease, though. As I stared at the glowing yellowish eyes, they began to rise farther from the ground until the animal would have been as tall as me. It was impossible. A gnarly, white-furred hand extended past the line of the shadows, and I nearly pulled the trigger. And the very unhuman-looking hand terrified me more than the eyes that were too far off the ground. My mind ground to a halt. There was nothing in there about any animal such as I was seeing. After gawking at it for several seconds, it snorted. A dense little cloud puffed out from the shadow. There was a delayed answering snort from behind me, up the little rise where I'd just come from. I'm sure the low moaning sound I heard next was coming from me. I didn't dare turn around and look up the hill. The thing at the tree took a small step to the side. The hand disappeared off the tree trunk, and the eyes dropped closer to the ground. I could just make out the outline of the beast as it moved in the dark. Then it was out in that ambient light from the snow. Think of a greyhound's body and you'll have its shape, except that it would have been easily been bigger than five greyhounds put together. The head was misshapen, gnarly, a partially human-looking abomination that snarled at me, showing its crooked teeth and black gums. The dark lips peeled back farther as it advanced on me. The mouth protruded slightly, as if the face had begun to grow a snout but never finished the job. Human teeth and sharp carnivore teeth mingled in the dim glow, and thick ropes of saliva drooled from the corners of its mouth. A loud report rang out, and I yelped in shock. Then another shot, and another. I realized I was pulling the trigger by the fourth shot, and I actually tried to aim. I had forgotten about the beast at my back. One bullet winged the creature's shoulder, and it screamed. 
I don't know if it was a sound of rage or pain or both, but it dug into the snow and dashed toward me. Something large hit me in the back and rode me to the snow as I pulled the trigger again. The shot still hit the creature and it dropped, whimpering to the ground and sent up a flurry of powdery snow as my head was forced down into it. Struggling, I rolled to my side and a deformed, slobbering snout appeared above me, jaws snapping, saliva dripping as it tried to bite into my neck. I warded it off with the barrel of the gun. As its teeth clamped onto the barrel, I pushed out with all my strength, ramming the metal into its jaws. The force was enough to knock it off balance, and I shot to my feet, still gripping the gun. The creature wouldn't let go, and there was a moment where we locked in a tug-of-war for the weapon. The thing was much stronger than me, and it dragged me a yard down the slope toward the wounded creature before I could dig in and regain my balance. We were close to the wounded beast, and it had been fighting its way to its feet as I fought control of the rifle. The barrel pointed directly at the creature I had already shot twice. Large patches of its thin white fur were oily and matted with blood as it lumbered towards us. I did the only thing I could think of, and I pulled the trigger. The shot hit its intended target and part of the deformed face exploded into blood and sprayed the snow in my tent. The one latched onto the barrel of the gun, had let go immediately and was clawing madly at its ear and face. There was no conscious thought, there was no decisions. It was the worst disconnect I ever remember in my life. One moment, I was staring at creatures that could not possibly exist in the real world, and the next moment, I was far, far away from the campsite, huffing and puffing in the cold night air and terrified beyond belief. I didn't know how long I had been running or in what direction, but by the burning in my lungs and muscles, it had been at the very least 15 minutes or maybe a little longer. Nothing looked familiar and there was no trail anywhere close enough to see. I thrashed about for a few seconds, burying myself deeper into a panicked state before I forced myself to stop and focus. My entire body shook as I searched for any sign of a trail or landmark that looked even remotely familiar. Snow changes the landscape, sometimes barely and well, sometimes drastically. Having grown up in that area, though, I was sure I should have recognized something, but I just didn't. Maybe because I was too terrified, I don't know. I heard the familiar snorting far up the steep slope to my back, and I froze as the panic dug in and took hold again. Then I was running, zigging and zagging around trees, descending the mountain as fast as I could. I was running so fast and heedlessly, that I didn't see the drop-off until I was free-falling over the edge. I landed hard on my side and my gun flew out of my hand. Regaining my breath, I sat up slowly, searching for the gun. I could hear the creature running, and I knew it would be on me any second. The gun had sunk into the deep snow, leaving no trace that I could see. 
I had no choice but to leave it and run. The only hope I had was to outdistance the creature. The scratchy short howl let me know it was closing in on me. I headed for a laurel thicket up a slight rise and I dove into it, pulling my way deeper and deeper. Branches clawed at my face, pulled the knit cap from my head and gouged holes in my coat and pants, but I kept forcing my way into the thicket until I was sure that the thing couldn't follow easily. Did I have a plan? Hell no. Survive was the only thing going through my head. Then the creature, well, he ran past the thicket. I breathed a sigh of relief, hoping it had lost my trail of where I had come up the rise. The twisted branches held me tight, boring into my body at painful angles. I counted to twenty, then fifty before I moved. Exiting was more painful than entering the thicket. I felt I had a bit of advantage over the beast. I could see its tracks in the snow clearly. That meant I could tell in which direction it had gone, and I could avoid it. All I needed to do was get off the mountain. I walked for about a half hour, leaving the tracks of the creature far behind me. My brain had time to calm down a bit, and I remembered my cell phone was in the inside pocket of my coat. I took it out and pressed the power button to turn it back on. The hello moto from the startup screen was extremely loud out there, and I shoved the phone into my coat pocket, cursing under my breath as I looked around for the creature. When the phone had started and was silent again, I pulled it out and was not shocked to find that I had no signal. The mountains around here are notorious for having huge dead zones where there is no cell signals. Some say, well, it's the iron ore in the mountains. I believe the old mountains simply repel the new technology. Perhaps they, like our grandparents, are old and set in their ways. I tried to place 911 calls anyway, but it appeared that they didn't go through. They weren't even any stray signals to piggyback on, and that was what I had expected. Trudging on for an impossibly long time, I still had not reached the bottom of the mountain, and still had not lucked into a signal. Only the knowledge that it couldn't be far kept me going when I wanted only to collapse. There was no sign that I was being followed as I walked for what seemed to be hours. When I started hearing the rush of water over rocks, I was shocked. I had come to the river, and the river was nowhere near the mountain where I had been. At the time, I couldn't even fathom how far off course I had to have been to reach the river. Nevertheless, it meant I was at the bottom of the damn mountain finally. Far away from home, but off the mountain. In the clearing as I headed for the shore, I pulled out my phone once again. I finally had a signal. Laughing almost hysterically, I dialed 911. I didn't know exactly where I was, but they could hopefully trace the phone signal to find me anyway. As I was answering the woman's questions and listening to the clacking of her keyboard as she entered the answers into her computer, I heard a very low, 
very faint growling snort. I spun to see a set of yellow glowing eyes amid the scrub brush a few yards away from me. The woman was speaking to me, but I couldn't understand anything she was saying. My brain screaming for me to run. Upriver was blocked by an outcropping of tall rocks. Downriver was only slightly more promising. The mountain didn't run to the edge of the water down that way, and there was a flat forest to run into. As the thing stood and moved forward, I knew, realistically, I was far too exhausted to outrun it. My heavy clothing would take me under if I jumped into the water, and I had no weapon to fight with. The woman's voice had become a nagging bark in my ear, and I dropped the phone, backing toward the water. I unzipped my coat and slid slowly out of it. The air was immediately cold to me, even though I had on a sweatshirt and an undershirt. The creature advanced slowly, watching my every move. Maybe it was expecting another gun, or maybe it was enjoying the moment before the kill. I slipped the straps of my thermal overalls off my shoulders and dropped my coat. The beast snorted, looking at the coat and back at me as if confused. It scented the air and went down on all fours again, edging toward the coat. I quickly unzipped the legs of the overalls as the monstrosity's attention was taken up by the fallen coat. To get the pants off, I had to give up my boots too. It was a trade I was willing to make. I would have rather frozen to death or drowned than be torn to shreds by that thing. As I inched backward toward the water's edge... I managed to get the overalls and boot completely off my right leg and almost off my right before the creature looked up, seeming to notice for the first time that I was moving away from him. He snarled, and I bolted for the rushing water. Before I hit the water, the creature had hold of my pant leg and was yanking me back onto the rocky shore. I kicked at the pants and boot with my other foot until they broke loose, and the monster went flying backward. By that time, I made it into the icy water. Thousands of tiny daggers plunged into my body, and I screamed even as I paddled at the water. The creature howled at the edge of the rushing water, but it didn't step foot into it. Finally, the current caught me and pulled me swiftly into its churning, tumultuous flow. I was tossed and twirled, I bounced off of rocks and was pulled under the surface. The rapids were brutal, but I suspected they were nothing compared to what the creature would have done to me. Eventually, after several short drops, the water began to slow. My entire body was numb as I maneuvered toward the shoreline. There was a paved road. It wasn't too far from the shore. It was possibly the most welcome sight of my life. That is, until I saw the searchlights on the first cop car crawling up the road toward me. So I guess you're wondering, did I tell the cops what happened? Sure, I did. I told them all about the animal that chased me into the water. I told them it was a good thing and that bear didn't want to ride the rapids and they believed me. 
I've never been hunting again. I've never told anyone the truth about that night. If I had, I might have won the money for the best it got away story.